Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 136. Today's episode is all about how to have tough conversations. Our lives are happening one conversation at a time. And I really think that the life that we desire the most is on the other side of a tough conversation. So whether it's the the tough ask or the tough salary negotiation or the tough sort of intimate conversation in a partnership or the tough conversation with a teen or the boundary like we've talked about that you have to draw. But I really do believe that in our heart's desire, what we want is on the other side of that conversation. And so the longer we wait, the more difficult it becomes for us to work up the nerve to have the tough conversation. And yet almost everybody I know will say, I can't believe I waited so long. It was actually better. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends and wild people. First off, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please hit the subscribe button. More subscribers means even better guests and tons more value. Plus, it helps me grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone could use a little more mind love. Communication is hard. Half the time, one person's saying something and the other person isn't even listening. Or the other person is listening but hearing something completely different. Or the person that needs to talk the most is too chicken shit to have the conversation in the first place. Historically, that person has been me. (laughs) The last five years don't count. Those are the years that I got my shit together one conversation at a time. But before that, the term I resonated with the most was avoidant. I hated confrontation. If I sensed someone was disappointed in me, I'd just ghost them until enough time had passed that it'd be too awkward to bring up whatever started the whole thing in the first place. Back in college, I was kind of a train wreck, so half the time I couldn't tell if other people were disappointed in me or if I was just disappointed in myself. So my poor mom wouldn't get a phone call for months. And that's just when I was on the receiving end of the conversation. Being the initiator was even harder. One time I asked for a raise by writing a letter, and then when my boss approached me about it, I acted like I had no idea what she was talking about. Miraculously, I still somehow managed to get that raise, though. Or another shining example, I faked orgasms until I was 30 freaking years old because I couldn't muster up the balls to talk about what actually got me off. Tough conversations aren't always complicated either. Sometimes the situation is as silly as speaking up when you're gritting your teeth under the pressure of a massage that's just too intense. Well, if you relate to any of this, you are definitely not alone. And it's not really your fault. Communication is technically one of the first skills we learn, but most of us never actually learn beyond the basics. You know, enough to make communication skillful. 
Well, our guest today is communications expert, Amy K. Hutchins. She's going to teach us how to confidently navigate your toughest conversations without saying something you regret or giving your power away or damaging your relationships. So three key things we will learn are a few magical phrases that effectively break down walls and create new possibilities, what to say and how to say it when someone is rude or gets in your face, and how to create connection with others instead of indulging in power plays. But before we dive in, do you wish you could have your own little mindset coach in your pocket every single morning? Just sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational messages right to your inbox. I get messages from people every single day about how the Morning Mind Love is their favorite way to start their day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. It's kind of like your own personal inspiration oracle. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do, like a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a booklet of my personal power lists to help you gain clarity and live each day with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Amy K. Hutchins to the show. Thanks for having me. So first off, what's a little bit about your story and how did you become what you call a master communicator? <laughs> well, when I was two days old. No, 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 we won't <laughs> go back that far. Um, I'm really a teacher through and through. So I was an elementary school teacher and then I was a teacher trainer and then I was a corporate trainer and then I became this coach and this consultant and this public speaker. And so here I am today and fundamentally, I'm a teacher at heart. And so everything that I do, speaking on stage, writing a book, it's really about helping. And then I'm also like this virtual, um, well, virtual now because we're all from home, but this lifelong learner. And so I'm like the ultimate student as well. So not just the teacher, but I love what I do. And so becoming a master communicator, honestly, Melissa, I became it the hard way. <laughs> so, all the things that you say that you're like, don't probably shouldn't have said that. That's so funny because I find that the only people I really, really trust with their material are the people who learned it the hard way. Like if you just learned it through textbooks and you're like, oh yeah, this is how you do stuff. Um, I'm just like, okay, cool. But like, when did you screw up? That's what I really want to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that the podcast is not long enough to talk about all the times that I've screwed up. <laughs> but I think that for me, the easiest way to put it was that we were given this voice box and it didn't come with instructions. It's like, it's like we never sat in a class in elementary school, high school, or university where they said, this is how you communicate effectively. And I don't mean like public speaking, because there's certainly communication classes on that. But I'm talking about the, the more intimate, how do I talk to my partner? Or the how do, how do I ask for a raise? Or how do I respond to somebody that's in pain? Or how do I actually ask for what it is that I need and want and know that my voice is significant? And I didn't. I mean, I didn't for so long. I settled for mediocrity in so many places. But then, like, like the better that I got at it, it was like, oh, my gosh, this stuff's amazing. Like, I wish I'd known it 20 years ago. It's so interesting when you think about it. Like, the amount of conversations I've had on this podcast where we're like, we never learned this in school. And it's all over the board. It's like, we didn't learn how to deal with our bodies. We didn't learn how to deal with our voice. It's like, what we were, were we learning? Like, I have never touched calculus since. We can, can't we just get rid of that unless you're like really interested? 
Well, I, I love our engineers who make like safe bridges. I really do. And, and I love people who are, who are in that existential quantum physics. But I think, I think at the end of the day, things such as our own spirituality and our own mindset and the conversations that are happening internally, which by the way, are the most important conversations are, are some of the hardest to have. And, and I think that that's just sort of when I look back and it's like the, the conversation where I said something that I regret or that I thought of the perfect comeback, you know, six hours later when you're swirling your cocktail. I mean, it's just, it's just life. And so I think that all of us get it, that it is, it's hard. And yet at the same time, there's a part of me that's sort of like, when you do know how to communicate clearly, you actually get the life that you desire. And so as cheesy as it sounds, I'm a big believer that life happens one conversation at a time, and our lives are a direct reflection of the quality of these conversations. Yeah. What do you think is the thing that most people are getting wrong about their conversations? That their voice doesn't actually matter as much as it does, that they don't have to be a people pleaser, that they don't have to go going along with the flow, like go along to get along, and that people, people will still love them. People will still want to be their friends. People will still respect them. And then I always say, if you know, if you've got the one friend where you draw a boundary and he or she's not really happy about it, then is that the friend that you want in your life anyway? Right. Boundaries have been huge for me because I realized in, it was only like five years ago that I really understood what boundaries were and how to even set them. And there was so much fear. And I realized most of my life, I was going to say my 20s, but it was really most of my life, I was just kind of people-pleasing or going along with the flow of what other people were doing. And in a way, I was almost proud of it. I thought of it as I was, I'm just a go-with-the-flow person. But what I realized when, when, when it started shifting for me was actually when I got clear on what I wanted in life. And when I had that, then all of a sudden I had to start saying no to these other things. And I was like, it's not that I was go with the flow. It's that I was going with everyone else's goals and everyone else's life and everyone else's desires instead of taking the time to actually define my own. Well, you nailed it for me as well. So I've spent the majority of my career wanting people to like me you know, wanting to be the nice person. And one of my core values, my own personal core values is generosity. And then I realized that it's okay to have that as a core value, but it's not okay to be a doormat for everybody else. And so I got a, I had a really hard time like saying no. And then as I got, and I don't mean this in a weird, there's no ego, but it's like, as I got bigger and people kept wanting like more from me, then it was like, well, I have to say no because I could work for free every day and I'd never be able to like keep my lights on. And then it got really hard because people got mean. I mean, people, people were not exactly thrilled when I started saying no. And then, and then you realize it's because you're, you're helping them with their agenda, but you're not being true to your own. And that's, that's a very difficult lesson to learn. And I just learned it really late. That's such a good point because I've noticed it's like the amount of conversations or the amount of uh, requests I have for people to pick my brain. I'm like, okay, I've spent a lot of times cultivating this brain or a lot of time cultivating this brain. Like you can't just pick it whenever you please. I mean, you can, but like, and it's funny too, because it's like, a lot of people knew me before I was really creating something. And then they also know me now. And so there's like these two different versions of me that live in their reality. And I've noticed people will even go to the lengths of example, 
recently a friend was like, hey, my, my soul cycle instructor is starting a podcast and I told him you'd speak with him. Do you just have like some time? And actually, he didn't even ask me. He just connected us through email and was like, this is my friend, Melissa. This is my soul cycle guy. And I was like, okay, cool. But you know, I actually charge for po- podcast consulting. And I like wrote back my rates and then my friend sent me a message. He's like, he's a really good guy. Can you just talk to him? And the guy's like, you can drop in on one of my classes. I'm like, you're not even in my state. And I was just like, I mean, honestly, I have to say no. And I like drew a line in the sand and my friend was not that happy with me. And I was just like, I was just leaving a podcast conference. I was like, do you realize I've gotten like 40 requests for the same thing this week? And it's not like I'm trying to be mean or that all of a sudden I see myself as above them. It's just that I think if we really want to build these lives, that the lives that we love, boundaries are absolutely necessary. Else we're never going to actually make time for the building of it all. And I think it's, you know, it's that it's a conundrum because we're called to serve and we do serve and we serve in many different ways. And I think that one of the hard things for us to realize is that sometimes the person that we need to serve is ourselves. And that's not selfish. It's the idea of like when you talk to a busy mom or a busy dad and you say, no, you actually really do need alone time and you need you need to find support systems and you need a chance to get out and go for a walk on your own. Or when it comes to a business entrepreneur, we do a lot of things for free to get started. And then it turns around and, you know, we still want to serve, but we find other ways to serve. It's kind of like, I mean, like this week in the pandemic, I'm taking meals to women that have been um, rescued from sex trafficking. And so I'm buying meals for like these women and that's how I want to serve. And I did, I did 37 coaching calls for free in the first week of the pandemic. But then when like the 109th person asked, it was like, I just can't. Like I, I'm, I've just reached my capacity. And what I have, what I struggle with to this day is the internal conversation of, does that still make me a good person? What do I do with my guilt? You know, what do I do with wanting people to like me? Am I a bad person for saying no? And that's, and that's real. Like that's my struggle of being able to say, no, just, I can be generous and draw a boundary. It's not either or. Then that was the big conversation shift in my head this week was like, I need to insert the and. I can be generous and draw boundaries. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. 
But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. Right. I found that boundaries have become a lot more easy for me the more I really connect to that why that Simon Sinek talks about. Because it's like I can have a goal and it's all well and good, but when I really know why I'm doing it, that's what really drives my internal passion. And that's when I'm like, no, this has to be done. And it helps me to see, okay, yes, I could help this person, but do you know how many people I could help if I did, if I stuck to my guns and did this one goal for myself? And so sometimes when I realize I'm having a hard time creating boundaries or creating time for myself, I go back to the beginning. It doesn't matter if I did my whole why statement or my mission statement five years ago. I think it's so important to revisit that often and say, does this still resonate with me? Is this still the thing that lights the fire under my butt to get going? And if not, what is and how can I tweak it? Does it change my goal at all? It just makes it so much easier to feel good about the saying no. Well, yes. And then, and then the beauty of it is you get to say yes to things that have a big, an even bigger impact and do help more people. And so we ended up doing doing several free webinars for different organizations in the pandemic. And it felt so good. I mean, when, when the national association of mental illness has 1100 people on one webinar in like the greater Des Moines area, it's like, okay, instead of one coaching call for one person, which is yes, helpful. Now 1100 something people are getting benefited from, from an hour of my time. And so that felt right to say yes to for free. And so you just find things that you come back to and then you morph and you pivot and you evolve But I think that one of the things for me is connection is a big thing throughout all of these conversations. Am I connected to my values? Am I connected to the world? Am I connected to my impact? And as you so beautifully put it, am I connected to my why? So oftentimes when I'm feeling out of balance or I'm feeling a little bit like, wow, you know, like the world is just stressing me out, it always goes back to, well, then what am I disconnected from? And as soon as I can nail what I'm disconnected from, I'm like immediately grounded because it also gives me an action plan. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because a lot of times it just, people don't even realize that they're not clear in what they want to create. And so they're like, I don't know how to move forward, but it's like, what do you really want and why do you want it? And when you get that, then it's interesting how you don't need to have all the answers right away. But I find that the more I'm just like, okay, that's the thing, that's the thing things will start to unfold. And sometimes it almost feels like magical for me. I'm like, how did I just meet this exact right person when I just figured out that this is what I wanted yesterday? Or it's kind of like how Facebook listens to you. And it's like, I I just talked about sprinkler systems yesterday and all of a sudden it's an ad, but it's like in real life. So I don't, I'm not sure which one's more creepy, but (laughs) It's either the creepiness of being overhood, or you can take the positive and be like, hey, the universe has your back, as Gabby Bernstein <laughs> would say. You know, so I think that I'm I'm definitely as I get older, the conversation certainly shifts to I need to let go a little bit more and trust and have faith that the universe really does have my back and that the good things are coming. And I'm I'm always amazed at the synchronicity of it when we're sort of like, okay. This is what I want. I'm putting it out in the universe. Let's just see what happens. And sometimes you don't get what you want. And that's not a bad thing either. Yeah. So I'm curious when we're talking a lot about really being clear about what you want. 
And you've connected it to the fact that so many of these things are in order to actually get these things oftentimes it comes with a tough conversation. What are some examples of that? Or why do you think it really does have to do with the tough conversations rather than just the action? Well, I think at the end of the day, and it's not exactly like a brilliant insight, it's just sort of one of those like, duh, it's our lives are happening one conversation at a time. And I really think that the life that we desire the most is on the other side of a tough conversation. So whether it's the, the tough ask or the tough salary negotiation or the tough sort of intimate conversation in a partnership or the tough conversation with a teen or the boundary like we've talked about that you have to draw. But I really do believe that in our heart's desire, what we want is on the other side of that conversation. And so I believe that in a world where we can, we can have really and truly the sex and the salary and the success that we want, when we learn how to use our voice, then we realize that, for instance, here's a great example. So many people I know will be like, I, I want a salary increase. And I told my boss yesterday that I need a salary increase. And he was just like, get out of my office. And I was like, because you didn't think about the law of reciprocity. You didn't think about what's in it for him or her. You didn't think about how you could add to their mission and their wants. And so when you step back and you really rehearse, you role play, you prep, then you go in and you say, instead of I want a salary increase, it's more like, hey, how might I become a more successful integrated team player? How might I take on more responsibility to make sure we meet and exceed our goals? And, and then all of a sudden your boss is listening from his or her agenda and your salary increase is just a small piece of getting what they want. And so they're much more open to it. And so it's just these small little nuanced strategies of setting yourself up for success. That makes perfect sense. And I have an example, but are you open to something that's a little too much information? Oh, totally. <laughs> totally, totally. Okay. So I did a whole episode about this, like in the beginning of my podcast days. And I faked orgasms until I was 30. And the thing was, is I remember my first boyfriend, like, thought it was gross pleasing a woman, all this stuff. And something about it just caused this issue in my mind, not to mention a few different cases of sexual assault, but I just didn't, was not comfortable asking for what I wanted at all in bed. And so it got to a point though, where I was actually married and still doing this. And I just broke down. Like I couldn't handle anymore. I broke down and shit spilled my guts and I don't know what I was so nervous about, but I was like hyperventilating up to this conversation. And he was just like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Tell me what you need. And everything after that was so much different. It's like this part of me that I'd been hiding or shameful about for like 15 years was all of a sudden just released. And it was so crazy because that was the biggest turning point for me in learning how to have difficult conversations and being like, wow, what was I depriving myself of with a partner or with somebody else or that level of connection that I had never really felt before I was vulnerable enough to share something like that? Well, first of all, totally brave. And thanks for sharing that with me. And I know that you've shared that on other podcasts, but thank you for trusting me with that. And I think that if we were to unpack that a little bit, you know, Melissa, there's so many there's so many things going on there that are societal as, as well as individual, but let's just start with society. You know, women have been told for, for generations that we, it, you know, sometimes we don't really deserve to ask for what we want, or we're not supposed to ask for what we want. And yet you're blessed with a partner, 
spouse that says, no, I actually, it makes me feel good to know that your needs are being met and they're being met authentically and honestly. And my guess is that he's now taking it on as like a challenge. Like, you know, <laughs> definitely, he wants to be the man, you know, and make it all work. And so I think that sometimes you're realizing that we've been told messages to my generation in particularly, I'm a generation Xer, that asking what you want is a very selfish thing. Yeah. And it's actually, it's a very human thing to have wants where it's not that it's not that we're ever going to stop wanting. It's how do our wants define us? I mean, if you're, if you're a person that is so narcissistic that you're constantly seeking the next thing and you can't think about anybody else, well then that's not healthy. But if you're never asking for what you want, that's not healthy either. You know, your voice matters, your, your human experience, your journey is so worthy and significant that you have a right for whatever it is that you want. And sometimes that's like leaving a legacy of nonprofit. Sometimes that's having a podcast that helps people. Sometimes that's making tequila. And by the way, I'm so appreciative that there's somebody out there that makes tequila. So it's, you know, it's, but I think that if we were to take it seriously, you finally realized that your wants matter and you trusted, you really did at the end of the day, you trusted him enough to say, I can't continue doing this. Like, this is just not good. And I think you'll be there with me. So it's, it sounds like, you know, it was a conversation absolutely worth having. Definitely. And one of the things that made it harder, though, is like, you know, the longer you get into it, then it's not just, hey, this is what I need. It's the realization that there was this other thing that maybe hasn't been going well that you thought it was for this long. Right. And the longer it goes, the harder it goes. And I know there's a lot of people in a similar situation, whether or not it has to do with sex. It might be that they've had this desire to start their own business when they've been a stay-at-home mom, or it might be that they don't like the way their spouse interacts in this one case, but it's been happening for 15 years or whatever it is. So how do you make it easier when you're already into it. You know what I mean? When you're already like, when the realization of what you want also challenges what the history with that person has been, if that makes sense. It, it makes total sense. And I, and I even say it in the book that, you know, as soon as you know that you need to have a tough conversation, the sooner the better. But we're all, we're all guilty of like putting off tough conversations because it's hard. And what we fear is being successful on the other side. Like, is having this tough conversation going to make things worse or better? Which is why I always say rehearse and prep before you even have the conversation. But I, but I will say the sooner the better, and here's why. The longer we wait, the more difficult it becomes for us to work up the nerve to have the tough conversation. And yet, almost everybody I know will say, I can't believe I waited so long. It was actually better. And the reason that it's better is because you prepped for it. So for instance, I tell people that you need to know what to say, you need to know how to say it, and you need to know when to say it. Now, not, not instant gratification is always going to be the way to go. You might need to delay it for a better time. Like I, I always, always joke, Melissa, like some of the worst advice we've ever been given is like, don't go to bed angry. It's like, no, go to bed angry because at midnight, if you're still fighting, you're going to say something stupid and you're going to make things like worse. Like go to bed angry. You'll be better tomorrow. But, but I think that when we do have this conversation, one of the things that, that women are often afraid of men too, but mainly women is that they're going to get emotional in the conversation, that their throat's going to constrict or they're, they're going to get teary-eyed or their chest is going to get all tight. And then they're like, well, then what do I do then? And I say, you look the person in the eye and you say, well, clearly this matters. 
clearly this matters. Like don't apologize for it. Do not apologize for your tears. Do not apologize if your, if your throat gets all choked up, just look at the person and say, well, clearly this matters to me. And then that lets everybody know that you care and it is a tough conversation. So one of the things, like if something's been going on for four or five, six years and you're finally fed up with it, then I think the best thing to do is to start with, this is going to sound really awkward because I probably should have talked about it or shared it with you two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, 15 years ago. But I realize it so matters to me and I have finally figured out how to talk about it. So we're talking about it now. And that's totally okay. You have every right. That's so true because I uh, had that exact situation with the example that I gave where it was really hard for me and I was afraid that I was going to like make him feel bad and all of this stuff. And so I was trying to prep for it, as you said, where I was like, it was, this was going around in my mind where I'd finally reached like my end and, and not like angry at him at all, but like angry at myself or like being just like, okay, this is where this ends. I can't live like this in my future. And I remember finally just being like, why am I trying to pick the exact right words when the exact right words are just the truth and vulnerability? And so it was those exact things of like, I know I should have said this before. It has nothing to do with you. That My fear in saying this before was this, this, and this. Like, I didn't want to make you feel bad. This is something I've been holding on to for most of my life and whatever it was. And with that, the other person has a much clearer picture of what's going on rather than just trying to like be super eloquent in it. And I just let it spill out and not not saying I didn't hone some of my words. Like a lot of it in the beginning was really getting clear on what am I feeling? Cause it, sometimes it would almost feel like anger, like, Oh my gosh, why? But really I had to drill down, like, where is this coming from for me? What do I actually want from it? What needs to happen to make this better? Like understanding those things and then going in and just sharing it from a my heart was just so much better than, I think a lot of the times we get so caught up in the emotions that we don't realize the underlying issue. It's some surface level issue. Like, well, you never asked or whatever it is. Or even sometimes there was a time recently with my husband where I just, it was something so dumb, just like a normal everyday tiff or whatever. And I, I was just like irritable. And I didn't realize like the whole thing really just came back to like, me being hungry and like wanting us to eat rather than <laughs> being like, like, do you want lunch now or do you want later? Uh, let me lay, lay it out for you. If we don't have lunch now, it's going to be two hours from now. I'm like, really, it comes down to, I want to eat. Stop asking him what he wants and like gearing him towards what <laughs> it's like the dumbest little things can like get in our heads and cause something bigger than the actual core of the issue. Well, you nailed it. And I think that sometimes it's the mix, it's the mixed messages that have been shared over time of, you know, are you being selfless? Are you being thoughtful of other people? And you can be all those things. And I think that's, that's sort of the, the shift in the perspective of just because you say one time, I need to eat, I need to eat now. Like there's, I, I can't be kind. I can't be nice. I can't do anything else. I can't function my brain. I am hungry. Or as we say in our household, we're hangry <laughs> because we're angry until we get fed. But, you know, we joke that that doesn't make you a defined characteristic. That's just one moment. It doesn't completely define you. It doesn't make you not thoughtful. It doesn't make you not generous. It just makes you hungry in that moment. And I think that's part of finding your voice and, and realizing that sometimes you just, I mean, if you were a small kid and you were starving, you'd be like, where's, where's my macaroni and cheese? Where are my goldfish? Right? You do this as an adult and you say, Hey, I need to eat. 
Like that's just like full stop. I can do whatever <laughs> you want, but I need a sandwich in my pie hole right now. And then I can deal with the rest of the world. And that's okay. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash MindLove. Just go to Indeed.com slash MindLove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash MindLove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. Right. I think so much of everything comes down to, okay, before you're going to go into a difficult conversation, have you taken care of your energy? Like, have you gotten sunlight today, some water, food, like the basics? Because I don't think so many people realize how much that actually affects your nerves, your emotions going into something. And if you then go from there, I'm curious though, say somebody else wants to have a difficult conversation with you and they come and talk to you about it and they kind of catch you off guard. Do you have any tips for sort of grounding yourself through that? Because I know a lot of times people tend to get defensive or they tend to get reactive and it's harder to control it when you didn't have that prep time or the deep breathing moments before it all starts. 
Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of different ways that you can handle it. One is that if we're blindsided, I think it's really important to remember you do not have to participate in that conversation in that moment just because somebody else brought it to you. Mm-hmm. So I'll often, um, I'll say this, especially when I was in corporate, you know, you get blindsided by somebody's request, even if it wasn't about you. It would just be like somebody walking into your office and like demanding a promotion and salary increase like we talked about earlier. And I would stop and I'd say, well, this clearly is very important to you, which makes it very important to me because I care about you. I need to give this some thought. I want to actually have a real dialogue. I don't want to just react to you. So can we, can we meet in like an hour or could we meet tomorrow morning or can we pick this up? I really want to process what you've said and give it the attention that it's due. So that's like one way to respond. The other is if you're really not sure or somebody's being more like in your face, Melissa, if it's a little bit more bombastic and accusatory, then I will often come back with, how are you hoping I respond to this? And I just, I just kind of, and they're like, well, I'm, I want you to apologize or I, I want you to own it. And then you're like, oh, now, okay, so I get what it is they want. Like, cause that's really what you've just said is like, what do you want? But instead of saying it in that tone, what do you want? It's a very gentle, how are you hoping that I respond right now? And they're like, well, I, I want you to be livid too, or I want you to, I want you to feel hurt because you hurt me. And so all of that stuff comes out and then you know what to do. Then you're much more prepared of like, oh, I understand where this person's coming from. By the way, that's another way to respond is just to label and say, wow, Melissa, you sound really upset. What's the thought behind that? And then they'll share more. And so you're leaning in. I mean, you know, I joke right now in the middle of, of everything that's going on, you're leaning in and still six feet away, but you're leaning in <laughs> and, and you're really giving that person a chance to voice what's really going on. Because sometimes people start conversations. It's like they're interrupting your movie with a movie of their own and you have no idea what their movie's about. Like you're in a rom-com and they're in a horror or a horror <laughs> place. So you're like, I have no idea what's going on. That's Really interesting the way you, the, just something about that one phrase is so concise. The either, if it's your side, clearly this is very important to me, or clearly this is very important to you, so it's important to me. Just that alone validates it. After that, when the person might say, like, if you ask them, well, what would, how are you hoping I respond? What if they say something that you might not really feel is your responsibility to do. Like if, if example, I had a boyfriend once and he was, he would get upset at different things. People said, a friend of mine told me it was because he was a Pisces and I was a Taurus and I was just like kind of practical, (laughs) but he would, he, an example of a fight we got into once is like, he thought I was, he thought I was doing something that I just wasn't doing. And, and when he came to me with it, I was like, Oh, that wasn't what I was doing whatsoever. And he still wanted me to apologize. And I was just like, but you're making me apologize for something I did not do or did not intend to do. And I got as far as saying like, I'm sorry for this misunderstanding, but I was a lot more stubborn back then. At this point in my life, I'd rather just be happy than be right. But like, I couldn't bring myself to get there. And I think sometimes a lot of people are expecting a reaction that you're just like, I feel like that would be me sinking into my lower self to get yeah, that I reaction. Yeah, I don't think you... Accept other people's perceptions as your own, again, just to people please them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we were if we were to role play, and hindsight's always fabulous, right? So if we were to go back and, and have, again, these master communication skills that we all wish we had in hindsight, for, for just to be able to look at him and say, how is that story serving you? Oh, that's a good one. 
how is that story serving us? And, and how would the story of me actually saying, I'm, I'm not, I'm not partaking in what you think I am, but there's, there's a really strong belief coming from you. So how is that belief serving you? I mean, like, like, is he trying to make you the bad person so that it's easier to break up with you? Is he trying to make <laughs> you the bad person because he feels bad about himself? I mean, there's a lot of wacky and also compassionate reasons why people do what it is that they do. But I think that sometimes just turning around and saying, there's clearly more to this that's going on than, than me and you trying to figure out who's right. It reminds me though, there's a lot of people that are so much more difficult to have the difficult conversations with. So it's one thing if, if you're already preparing for this like massive conversation, but then I think a lot of us have had that like just sort of crazy or like overpassionate boss or just like the stubborn person in our lives, whatever it is. Is there any way that we should go about it differently if we're having not just a difficult conversation, but a difficult conversation with a difficult person? You know, it's, and it's so much easier to say than do, but when you practice it, it really is detachment. You're not responsible for somebody else's reaction. You're not responsible for somebody else's intent. And you're certainly not responsible for somebody else's belief systems. And so I, you know, I'll often be talking, I do a lot of coaching and I, and I work with very sophisticated, very professional individuals and they'll just be like, so why can't he get it? Or why can't she get it? And I'm like, do we have to have this conversation again? You cannot rationalize the irrational. You cannot talk logically with the crazy, you know? And so I think sometimes when I say detachment, I don't mean it because you don't care. I mean it because you have to let go of the outcome. So for instance, like if you go to apologize to somebody and they say, well, I'm not accepting your apology, you don't have any control over that. And, and by the way, they're accepting your apology or not, it's really none of your business. As long as it was sincere, it wasn't some backhanded you know, compliment or some backhanded apology that you were being really straightforward and owning your own peace, you're not responsible for how they react. That's been one of my biggest lessons is just detaching from the outcome of anything. It'll change the way you show up to, uh, I'm doing air quotes around debate or like a conversation or anything and just trusting that it's happening. If you show up and you do the best you can, or even if you look back and you realize you didn't do the best you can, I really believe it still all happened as it should. Like to believe that, say you and I got in a fight or something like that. And I came up to you and apologized and you were like, no, I don't accept that. I still believe that that was some sort of learning experience that we were both supposed to learn from, whether or not it came out the way that I thought would have been the best way or whatever. And when you really view something like that, like this experience was meant for both of us and it happened as, exactly as it should. Now, how am I going to move forward next time? Will it be the same or will it be different? Then you're constantly growing and it's really difficult to regret the past. And it also makes you less fearful going into it because you know that like I'm doing the best I can right now or I did the best I could with what I knew at the time and you can just let go a little bit rather than being like okay I've got a 20% chance of getting this right there's five things I could say I'm choosing this and then leaving like oh darn I got it wrong or whatever it might be well, and that's about giving yourself grace. I mean, so I talk about, you know, obviously becoming a masterful communicator. I spent my whole life teaching people to become masterful communicators. And that doesn't mean we always get it right. I mean, it just doesn't. That, that's the human journey. You can have all these skills you can get really, really good at. We're constantly evolving and growing. And sometimes you just say the wrong thing or you react. And so one of the things that I, I always tell folks is you have every right to go back and say something along the lines of, hey, 
Melissa, yesterday I reacted. Today I want to respond thoughtfully. I want to apologize for my reaction. And this is, this is what I wished I'd said. This is what I wished I'd done. And so I'm just letting you know this now. And so that's a beautiful way to go back. And it's never too late. I mean, that's the other thing that I, I, I tell people, and I, I sincerely believe this. You can go back to something that happened five years ago. And it, and it could be like your third cousin once removed or your best friend or your spouse. And you could say, you know, I've really been thinking about that. And when I said or did that, I wish I'd done this. And so I'm just, I'm just letting you know that clearly it matters to me because I'm still noodling on it. I'm still reflecting on it. And I, I've learned so much that I wish I'd said this instead. And that just tells people that you care. It's interesting because I have done that with a few people in my life and everything from like, like last year I reached out to a friend I knew in middle school that were Facebook friends now. And I was just like, I've just been thinking about something that I said to you when we were 11. And, <laughs> and you know, like people are afraid to get that vulnerable and do something like that. But for me, it was kind of scary, something about it. And looking back, I'm not sure why, because it just felt so good. And what harm could come from that? Worst case, she doesn't get back to me. Best case happened. And she was just like, oh my gosh, I don't even remember that. But like this shows a lot and it reconnected us. And now we talk more than we did before. Or one thing that's been pivotal in my relationship is that my husband and I both allow each other emotional reactions. So we'll give each other grace when it happens. And we do do exactly what you said, where it's like, I might snap and say something I didn't want to. We're pretty good at not saying something we didn't want to, but maybe not in the best way we could have said it or just being kind of irrational. And I'll come back and immediately after I feel differently, I'll just say like, hey, I'm, I'm sorry I'm coming back at this a different way or sorry for what I said while I was hangry or <laughs> whatever it might be. And I know that in a lot of couples, because I've shared this with some friends, they're like, yeah, but then he'd just hold that over my head or whatever. But it's like the more that you can practice that balance with each other and allow each other your humanness, the easier it is for somebody to be vulnerable with you next time or to drop their ego next time. But if you hold it against them, so that's being on the receiving end of the difficult conversation or the receiving yeah. end of the apology, it just makes people less likely to want to apologize to you or, or come to, to you with a different energy than before because they're afraid you're going to overpower them. Well, that, and that's just it. So, okay. So full, full, you know, transparent caveat here. I am not a family counselor and I'm certainly not a relationship therapist. I mean, certified life coach, biz consultant strategist, like I live in a secular corporate world, but it always comes back to personal stuff. And I do a lot of personal stuff in the book and in my coaching. And I still say I'm not a therapist. I will make a comment about relationships though. When people say I can't get vulnerable or I can't apologize because then my partner, my spouse, my significant other will hold it against me, then you have to really question then how is that serving the team? Like how, how is that helping? And so I have a whole chapter in the book on connection versus power. And that's a power play inside a relationship. And it's so unhealthy. Like if, if, if you're, if your husband, if your hubby came to you and he was like, oh, Melissa, I really need to apologize for that. And then you remind him about what a jerk he's been for the next eight weeks, then you're reinforcing and you're telling him don't apologize. And so you took a power over instead of a connection with. And I really believe that those couples who want more intimacy, who want better relationships, both just with companionship and sexual intimacy, then you have to both want connection more than you want power. It reminds me of a friendship that I had. It, 
I'm really good at being the one who will first apologize. I've, I've trained myself to do that. Even if I really see it being like, wow, that person started it and maintained it, but I know it always takes two. So I'll find what I did wrong and be the one to apologize. And I did that a few times in this friendship. And it's interesting because almost with most people, when you do that, they'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry too, and find that balance. And it just, it doesn't matter who was more right then because now you're connecting on a different level. And this one friend that I had though would always just be like, thank you, I appreciate that or whatever. And then like later on in the friendship, those things would come back. And it was so frustrating that our final kind of, and they were all sort of minor disagreements too, but because of the way it was handled, it felt bigger than it was. And the final one, it was really hard to do that. I still did it, but it took me like much longer to be like, I'm sorry for what I did in this and whatever it was. And it was still the same response. And for me, that it showed me that that relationship wasn't really serving me anymore. It was starting to take more work than it was the benefits. And so do you normally advise people to do that? Like decide, is this serving me and know when to walk away or could I have handled that better? Well, there's, well, so again, there's a myriad of things going on there. And I think that the conversation where you're apologizing is really best left as a single conversation. When we try to combine it with, but then you also did that, one, it often mitigates our own apology and it doesn't allow the spotlight to be on what it is that you need or what it is that you want to change. So I love the idea that you went and apologized and you owned your, you know, 47%, 50%, 52%, like whatever it was, you know, you owned it. But then here's, here's the other conversation that it sounds like maybe didn't happen. And again, in hindsight is to say, you know, I care about this relationship and I care about you. So how might we, and then fill in the blank, how might we, is a brilliant question to say, what was it that you needed? How might we get more of, how might we get less of, how might I get? I look back and again, just in pure vulnerability, I walked away from a friendship because no matter how much we got together, it was always about her to the point where I would like randomly drop things such as, well, I'm thinking about having children and she'd be like, oh, that's great. And then she'd go right back to her. And I, and it was like, if I could just drop these little bombs, like, would she even react? Now that was a long time ago, right? That was a long time ago. And what I've learned is that was probably really immature of me. Not even probably, that was immature of me. Because what I wasn't doing was saying, I really need for this friendship to be a two-way street. So how might we share the spotlight? I never asked her that question. And so in all fairness to her, she probably didn't deserve the friendship to end the way that it did. And that was just, I walked away. And, and to this day, does she know why? Maybe, maybe not. But I look back and I think, wow, that was 20 years ago, obviously younger, didn't know what I know today. But again, if I could have gone back and said, she deserves and I deserve to give this friendship a chance versus me just playing games, you know, that's part of growing up. Right. Because like in both situations, it may sound so obvious, which is why we don't feel like we need to share that. It's like, okay, do you not notice I've, I've always owned up no matter what has stemmed and like... But in, it, in reality, it just drills down to having an expectation. And that's not what friendships or relationships are based off of, or expectations, or they shouldn't be. It's something that we work on. But it's also difficult not to have them as a human. And so if you're not voicing what that is, then you're not giving them a chance to fulfill it because you don't realize where somebody's coming from or what their life has been like, or maybe in their family growing up, the only way she got to talk about herself was when she really forced it or whatever it might be, or maybe my friend had something traumatic happen when she owned up 
to something. And so without actually voicing that this is what I need in this relationship, then it's kind of setting an unfair expectation that expecting someone to fulfill something that they don't even know about. That's right. And I think that sometimes that's even having the grace to, in a, in a moment when you're not in that scenario, when you're just having a good time, you know, and you're relaxed and, and doing something fun to even do the help me understand. You know, one of the things that I've noticed is that it's really hard for you to apologize. Do you have a history with that? And, and to really understand where somebody's coming from. We had, um, we had a team member with us that she could never apologize. I mean, like ever. And one day I was like, you never apologize. And she's like, well, I just don't think I need to. And I said, oh, well, this is something that's important to me. Like I'm wired that when somebody does something, even if it's like goofy, just even the quick, oh my God, I'm sorry. Like I own it. You know, like I, I apologize for that. I said, that means a lot to me. I'm just one, I'm just wired that that means a lot. And she was like, oh, I didn't know that it mattered that much to you. I was like, yeah, it kind of does. It's just the way I'm, the way I work. I apologize and, and I expect it. And what was great is like the very next time that she had like kind of a major screw up, she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And, and, and so again, we can change the way that we play, but we have to ask for what it is that we want and need. Well, I love that. And so thank you so much for all of this really insightful information, especially just some of those exact phrases that uh, are just things that I'm going to definitely be taking into my conversations moving forward. So for listeners who are really interested in you working with you and your new book, where's the best place for them to connect with you? Well, I mentioned earlier that one of my core values is generosity. So they can easily go to the website. It's my first name, Amy K, A-M-Y-K, super easy. So amyk.com, tons of free tools on the homepage. You can follow me on Instagram at Amy K Hutchins. And of course, you can get the book, Get It, on Amazon. And it is out in paperback, hardback, Kindle, and Audible. So whatever is your uh, book of choice, we are on Amazon. All of the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 135. Your challenge this week is to figure out where you haven't been doing so well communicating. Find that one conversation that you've been putting off. It kind of reminds me of one of the steps in AA. I'm not really sure which step it is. Maybe it's the ninth one where you have to go confront the people that you've hurt in the past. That's a really good use case for a tough conversation. Or is it that you've been putting off asking for that raise or asking for a little more freedoms in your job? Or maybe it's a conversation with your partner or even your kids. We all have hard conversations that we need to face. So how can you use some of the tools from this episode to approach those conversations in a different way? Sometimes it's just the boldness of getting over our fear and walking straight through the fire. I mentioned in the beginning of this episode that I used to be avoidant. What I found out though, is it is more painful in that waiting period of before I have that conversation, mulling in my head all the possible outcomes than the actual conversation has ever been. It's just easier to rip off the bandaid and get it over with so it's not taking up valuable brain space and energy, exhausting you day after day. So what can you do to be a little bolder with your conversations this week? If you know somebody who needs this episode, maybe somebody who's been avoiding a conversation with you, or maybe the person that you've been avoiding a conversation with and you want to prime them for this a little bit, share this episode. Hit the little share button or take a screenshot and share it on social media. 
If you haven't heard, we have a new offering, Mind Love Premium. Head over to mindlove.com slash premium to read more about it. But we have a special inner circle that will be leading facilitated discussions around books that we read, around topics of these episodes, and some fun stuff like movie nights. And as founding members, you have direct influence in different offerings of this premium membership, plus founding member prices that are locked in forever. So go to mindlove.com slash premium to find out more. So as always, thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into Your Higher Frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 